And uh, we're going to read <coughs> verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 9 in a moment by way of review. Chapters 1, 2, 3, all the way to chapter 8, Paul has been talking to basically everybody, but especially to Gentiles, sometimes to Jewish people, Jewish believers, Gentile believers, the unsaved, so on and so forth. But he's been talking about grace. He's talking about faith, justification, about, about um, uh, God's work in our lives and how how he's worked everything out. There's nothing left for you to do except just believe. So it's been a glorious journey from chapter 1 to chapter 8. And here we come to chapter 9, and Paul now speaks about Israel. Kind of a strange change for some people. Uh, look in chapter 9 and verse 1. Look at these first three verses. He says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Verse 4 starts off, who are who? Who are Israelites. <clears throat> Paul is not writing to the Gentiles. He's not writing about Christianity. He's writing about a people called Israel, and he's brokenhearted. He says, uh, I'm, I'm broken about my people. He weeps for them. And he's upset because they have had so much invested in them by God. They are a special people to God. They are God's chosen race of people. And people don't like that. Uh, I don't care if you like it or not. God says it, and I just get along with it. I don't like anybody claiming to be better than me. And by the way, let me say this. It doesn't mean that they're better. It means they're they, are, they have a special place in his plan. And as a, as a Christian, I'm just glad to be in on the plan. Okay, so, <clears throat> uh, by the way, when we say that Jews have a special place, it doesn't mean that they're superior any other, uh, anybody else. Um, they just, listen, they gave us the Bible. Every author, every writer in that book is a Jewish writer. Um, they gave us the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus was a Jew. He had to be born in Israel. He had to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, and when people are wondering, where do we go to find God? You go to Israel. Jesus even said it's salvation is of the Jews. So now Jews can't save, but they know how to show you salvation because they have a Bible, because they have a Savior. So I need you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 now. Deuteronomy in your Bible. I want to show you a couple of verses here that show you just how special Israel is. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. We're going to read three verses, 6, 7, and 8. Watch this. Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book in your Old Testament. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says, Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath, what's the next word? All right, whenever you hear people talking about election and predestination, take them to this verse. God elected and predestined Israel to be a special people. He didn't elect them to salvation. He elected them to be in a special place in his plan. I have uh, The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a, what's the words? There we are, unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. You're a tiny little nation, but because the Lord loved you. So why did God love us? Why did God love them? And I, the answer is why he loves me, because he loves, because he chooses to love people. And you know what? God loves people who don't even love him back. That's the truth of this thing. Why did God love them? Because he loves them. And because he would keep the oath, listen to that promise, which he hath sworn unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, back when they were in Egypt, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. I know we Christians are special to God as well. We're loved by the Father. And, you know, Christians, it, 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 the, highest, the highest honor any Christian can ever have is to be used by God, 
to lead somebody to Christ, to open your mouth and show somebody the gospel, to, to actually be the hands of, of the love of God towards somebody who's really hurting or whatever, to be used by God. Well, we know the value of being used. Uh, but we're, we're in that place like Israel was because we've been grafted together with them. We didn't replace them, right? Israel still Israel. We've been grafted to this place of special use by God. There are people, there are churches and religions out there that said God's all through with the Jews and they're done and have nothing to do with them. They are wrong, folks. I'm telling you. The only reason why I'm saved is because I've been invited in, not to replace. So when you understand that, it'll help you here. Look back there in Romans chapter 9. Let's continue. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and verse 4 goes on and says this. Listen to what God has invested in them as, as a people. Verse 4, he uses this term. He says, they are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law and the service. We'd say the worship of God and the promises of God, whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the faith, uh, concerning uh, the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever and ever. Amen. You see, God, all of those things we talked about last week, all of those things God has given to the Jews and through the Jews to the world. I have a Bible because God wrote it from a, uh, uh, through a, a Jewish prophet or to a Jewish apostle. And this, this book is amazing, but it was given to me by them. So whenever you get upset at the Jews, you're, you're, you're biting the hand that's feeding you. So they have so much invested in them by God. And yet, here's the problem. They have rejected their Messiah. As a nation, generally, as it's unexpected that they said, kill him, crucify him. We want him dead. And Paul is brokenhearted because once again, they are, they are separated from God. They are separated from the God that they claim to know and worship. So what went wrong? I mean, how could somebody, I mean, how many of you have known or maybe it's happened to your family where you have done your best for your children and yet you saw them at 17, 18, 19 years old, walk away and hate your guts. I mean, that's how God felt after he'd invested and helped and, and blessed and protected Israel and for Israel to turn their back on God and walk away from God and spit in God's face and call for his son to be murdered. That's what the Jews have done. Question is, did God fail? Did God's word stop working? Paul's going to answer in verse 6. Look in verse 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, meaning that don't think for a minute that God's word doesn't work on hearts. As a matter of fact, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay, doesn't it? So the problem is not sunlight and the heat. The problem is substance is being heated up. And our heart is how we respond to the same gospel, to the same work and the same word of God. So uh, Paul says, don't think for a minute that the word of God failed the Jews. Now, these are not easy. These are not easy to understand scriptures. Don't misunderstand. Paul's going to, in chapter 9, 10, 11, answer about 30 big questions about Israel. Uh, and by the way, let me say, a lot of Christians uh, are very hasty um, to, to come to very hateful conclusions based on a few scriptures. They'll point to a verse that's there and there and there. And you go, be careful. You know, that's why we go verse by verse through this stuff. And we sort of get the whole big picture because uh, how you treat the Jews and, and how you react shows your lack of understanding of the Bible. This is a book for Israel, and I get to read it. I get to believe it, and I get to enjoy it by grace. I don't have to be a physical Jew to enjoy it. I don't have to live in Israel, the land of Israel, to enjoy it. But they have a special place that we should not, we should not be knocking them off of and saying we're better because we're not. Stay with me for the next several weeks. Because the answer that Paul gives is absolutely amazing. Let's read verse 6 down to verse 13, and then I'll talk you through them. He goes on, he says, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. 
Here's our, here's our scripture. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. And that's just a simple word saying not everybody who's born descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are really of this thing that God started called Israel. Verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, quoting from the Old Testament. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Stop right there. If, I'm, if I was born into a family where my parents were both Bible-believing Christians, does that make me a Christian? No. A child by flesh does not get the same spirit. I have to get regenerated the same way they had to get saved by crying out to be born again. So they who are of the flesh are not the children of God. Do you get that? That's why Jesus, by the way, says you must be born again. Let's keep going. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed as the children of God. For this is the word of promise. And he quotes again, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And the angel came and told uh, Abraham that his wife at 90 years old was going to have a son, verse, nine, verse 10. And not only this, he gives another example. When Rebekah had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, now she had twins, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. I mean, maybe they argued and fought in the womb, <laughs> but they had never done any evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her. Now, that was all a parenthetical statement. I want you to go back to verse 12. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Now, is that normal? Is it normal for the older brother to be doing what the younger brother asks and says? Not normally. And yet God said, the older brother is going to be serving the younger brother, which was a flip. Verse uh, 13, as it is written... <coughs> Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, right there, people will quote that verse and say, God hates some people, and he loves some other people. He damns some people, and he brings some to heaven. Are you kidding me? You see, when you just come along and you extract verses, you use them for your own design, you can really defile and damage not only your faith, but the faith of others. That's not what he's saying at all. Let's first answer the first question, who and what is Israel? Back then, verse 6, it says, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So the question is, what is Israel? Uh, no one questions whether Israel was the people of God in the Old Testament. The question, the people question, what are they now? Generally, when the Bible speaks about Israel, it's referring to two things. It's just the same thing, but it refers to them being the physical descendants of Jacob, the son of Isaac, and the son of Abraham. You will read, as you go through your Bible, about a group of people called the children of Israel. Over and over, and the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and then the children of Israel fled from their, from their enemies. And the children of Israel, the children of Israel, they were physically descendants of a man named Israel. So when it speaks about Israel, it generally, almost always, is speaking about a physical descendant genetically related to Jacob, who was the son of um, Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And that brings up an exploit. That means that Israel, when it speaks about Israel, it is a nation of people, not of borders. What do I mean by that? Well, when I show you that, that map there, people think that is Israel. And it's not. That is not. That is the land where they live. But that's not Israel. Israel is a people, whether they're in Cork, Ireland, or whether they're in London, or whether they're in, in Moscow, wherever they are, they can be Israel. They are a people. By the way, that's how Christians are too. You see, somebody drives by and they see the word church on here. They think, well, that's a church. Well, it's a church building, but that's not the church. We are. And what you are at home ought to be the same as what you are together, amen, because we're the church. So they are a nation of people, not of borders. Because back in the 1600s and 1700s and 1800s, people thought because the Jews were scattered and they had no nation, they weren't a people anymore. And that's not true. They called them wandering Jews. And then 1948 happened and they got the nation back and boy, did the whole world go crazy and want to wipe them out. Now they have their border, but they've always been a people. By the way, 
during the 1500s, 1600s, Europe was all Catholic. And then Europe split and became half Catholic and half Protestant. You know, there's one group that just through it all never became Catholic and generally never became Protestant. And they were the Jews. That was the only other group. Everybody was either Catholic or Protestant. And then they're the Jews. They stay that way through history. They are a people, sometimes and most time without borders. Now, the question has to be asked, are they special? Uh, you decide. Let's go to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. Got a Bible study this morning. I hope to whet your appetite for the big themes of the Bible. Do I dare say it? The big focus of the Bible is not you. Sorry to burst your bubble. The big focus of the Bible is Israel. And yeah, I'm, I love reading my Bible and I apply it to my life, but I better learn who it's written to first. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. 28, 10. And Jacob went out. Who's this? It's a guy named Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place. He ended up at a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. Now, if you've ever been camping, you know, sometimes you're looking for a, a smooth stone that's caved in. You put a couple of... Uh, I don't know, bit of a bit of fabric on there, but he's using stones for his pillow. Uh, and he lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up upon the earth, and the top of it reached heaven. Behold, the angels of God descending and ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it, and said, "I am the God of who, Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac." The land whereon thou liest, he's actually in the promised land at that point, to thee will I give it. Wait a minute. God was promising to give land to who? To Jacob, not to you and me. I have no claim to go over to the land of Israel and say, no, God gave it to me. God didn't give it to a Gentile. He gave it to Jacob and his descendants. Watch it. To, give, to thee will I give it and to thy seed, to thy descendants. And thy seed, that's Israel, shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou, as a nation, shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So you tell me, uh, what did God think of Jacob's physical descendants? They're blessed, and they have, a, they have a place over there. It's their land. I know the Palestinians want it, but it's not theirs. I know during the, con, the, the um, uh, my goodness, I can't think of it now, uh, the Crusades, Rome wanted it. But it belongs to the Jews. So the second question is, are they special above all people? We'll go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Go to the right. Find Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15, and then we'll jump to first chapter 14. 10, 15. And here we go. This will make some of you mad. It's already made some people mad. Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15. Only the Lord had delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. So God said, yeah, I'm choosing you ahead of everybody else. Go to chapter 14, verse 1. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1. Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves nor make any boldness between your eyes for the dead. A lot of people do that. It's called tattoos. Verse 2. For thou art a holy people in the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all nations that are upon the earth. Some people say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. That's the old covenant. Everything changed when, when Jesus died and rose again. And you'd be mostly right. But God's commitment to Israel cannot be broken. 
Go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah, if you find Isaiah, then comes Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Speaking of the new covenant. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Yeah, they sure did. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. I'm going to convert them, do something on the inside, and write it in their hearts instead of on stone. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34. I'm sorry, jump down to verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. Who's in charge of this universe and how it just keeps working? Verse uh, the end of verse 35 says, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, if those physical laws depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Did the sun rise this morning? Then Israel is still a people before God. Nod your head. God says as long as the sun keeps rising, and setting, and the moon, and the stars keep shining, then Israel is still my people. You see, God had to show you and me, Gentiles, that he's committed to us by showing that he's still committed to his people, Israel. I'm, I, I am eternally secure. I cannot lose my salvation because he made the same commitment to me. Israel was a mess. Israel went wicked, and yet God still stayed committed. Yes, he chastened them. Yes, he scattered them. Yes, he brought judgment upon them often. But they are still his people. His commitment cannot be broken. <coughs> so what happened to Israel? I mean, that's just that's just the obvious question. Why aren't they all saved? I mean, that just that that ought to bother you. It bothered Paul. Did the word of God fail? Are are all the promises that God made to Israel now ripped from Israel and applied to me? That's what people believe. You know, if you see a failure in one area of your life, you think, well, that didn't work. I won't try that again. And so you apply it to yourself. If you see Israel fall and walk away from God and, and, and crucify Jesus Christ, the obvious thing is don't have anything to do with them anymore. That's not God's commitment. Do you ever think about the promises God made to Israel? He made a promise of, of a literal kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come? What's that prayer for? Yeah, there's a kingdom, and there's a king named Jesus Christ. Jesus physically is going to be back here ruling in what city? And it's not Dublin, in Jerusalem. He will have Israel as the head nation, not America, China, or England. The promise, uh, the promise of all the promised land is for them forever. Uh, success, rest, and joy belong to them. I get to enjoy it, but you know what's given to us Christians? Suffering. For unto you it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for his sake. You say, where are the blessings? Well, there are blessings, but my home's not here. Israel's got land. I have a mansion. I, I think I'd rather that. Israel's surrounded by enemies. I'm going to a place where there are no more enemies. Amen. So the promises, the promises that God made to Israel are still in effect. Don't want their promises. I've got better ones. Amen. But it seems like the words of God had no effect on them. We read that in Romans 9, 6. After all that God done for him, after all that Jesus did to prove that he was the Messiah, I mean, think about three and a half years, Jesus constantly proved, I'm Messiah, I'm your Savior, and they still rejected him. And there are two reasons why they did that. Their problem was because of blindness. I want you to go to Romans chapter 11 now. Romans chapter 11. And I'm going to say this. The reason why there are people who come to church and they'll read the Bible and they'll go out the same way they came in and they will die and go straight to hell, even though they were raised in church, heard preaching, 
and 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 sang the hymns. The reason why they never got saved because they closed their eyes and they kept them closed. They were blind. Not that God blinded them, but they closed their eyes to the light. You ever had a torch shown in your face? That was the gospel. And when Jesus came, they closed their eyes and they kept them closed. Look in your Bible. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans 11, 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. That is mysterious. It's tough to understand. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, lest you become arrogant and proud yourself, is what he's saying. Don't be ignorant of this. That blindness, in part, is happened to Israel, uh, not forever, but until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so, look what happens. All Israel shall be saved. Don't write them off and say, well, God's done with them. No, God's going to save them. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion... The deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant that I make with them when I shall take away their sins. Uh, go to Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Corinthians to the right, chapter three. We're going to get some speed here in just a moment, but I gave you some background. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse thirteen. Now you ever seen a wedding? And weddings used to be a little more standard. Now, ugh, you go to a wedding and you don't know what you're going to see, experience, and oh, my goodness. Well, in the old days, a bride would come and she'd have a veil over her face. All right? Now, that was, to, that was supposed to symbolize some good things where that man's not supposed to, to um, uh, you know, actually get so close she needs, to, she needs to have some distance between her and her husband. It's a veil, meaning that you can see through it and everything. But then at that last moment, and the pastor says, you may kiss the bride. He lifts the veil, and that face is exposed, and everybody sees, and they kiss, and they kiss, and they keep kissing, and they won't stop. And that veil uh, was a symbol of keep your distance until the wedding, until wedding night. And... That veil is the only kind of veil we normally get used to unless you look at a Muslim veil. But there was the time where Moses wore a veil. I want you to see this. Look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. Look at verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, and we do, we, have, we use great plainness of speech. Ever wonder why I don't use fancy words? Why we're not all theologically impressed with the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff? Because I like to use just great plainness of speech. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. Do you remember why? That the children of Israel could not steadfastly look on the end of that which is abolished. He had just spent 40 days up with God. And he came down. His face was glowing like he had been at Sellafield. Like he had been in the presence of radiation. His face was glowing. And they never would hear a word because they'd be, glow they'd be looking at his face glowing. And you would too if... if you know, if Bill's face was glowing, I'd be going, what is wrong with you, Bill? And he's trying to tell me, stay off the roads. They're all icy. What? I'm looking at his face. So Bill would stop looking at my face. Just listen to my words. And that's how Moses was. He put a veil over his face so that you couldn't see the glory that God had given him. Keep watching. Let me read it again. Verse 13. Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look on the end of that which is now abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away, not taken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. You want to understand the Old Testament? Trust Christ. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Everything in the Old Testament comes alive. The veil comes off. But even unto this day, verse 15, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, the nation, shall turn to the Lord, the veil for the Jews will be taken away. So temporary blindness, they are, there's a blindness. And there's a second reason. And that is, if you would go to chapter 10 in Romans, back to the left, Romans chapter 10, in verse 1. And it's self-righteousness. What damns most people is not their sin. Are you ready for this? It's their fact that they don't think they sin. It's their self-righteousness. 
You know what the Jews said? We don't need a Messiah. We don't need Jesus. We don't want a Savior. We're doing just fine with our own religion. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Oh, they, they have zeal, but they don't know why. Verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. We call it self-righteousness. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God, which is Jesus Christ. So the same things we're guilty of, you know, I, I, I explain stuff. I try to show stuff because people come in and they're, they're just, they've never seen this stuff. So we look in the Bible, we look in the Bible, we listen to the Bible, we test what we understand so that our eyes get open and all of a sudden the penny drops and that blindness is transformed. It's just a work of the Spirit of God by the Word of God being preached. God saves by the foolishness of preaching the Word of God. So let's move on. Verse 6, back in Romans chapter 9, verse 6 says this. The end of it says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. You know what that means? There are two Israels. Who are they? There's a large body of people who are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there is a much smaller group of people who have the faith of Abraham. You see, it's one thing to be a kid of so-and-so. It's another to actually have the faith of so-and-so. So there are two Israels. There is, let this sink in because it is, it is what will help you understand these two, the, the, the two Israels. Um, and by the way, the fact that all you need to be God's Israel is to have the faith of Abraham, which we read in Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5. You don't need the works of the law. You don't need to be born in Israel. You don't need to become a Jew and wear a Hanukkah. You don't need all of that. You know what you need? Jesus Christ. And he makes you the true Israel. We'll go into that. That's where we come in. So there are those who are physically the children of Israel by birth, by nature, by genetics. And then those who are spiritually children of God. Children by the faith of Abraham. One is an outward Jew. And one is an inward Jew. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. Romans 2, 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Circumcision is a surgical operation on your body. But he is a Jew, which is one where? All right, so I can give you an example. Let's compare it to Christianity. I know people who come into church, sit down, have a Bible, read the Bible, sing the hymns. They outwardly look, talk, smell, sound like they're Christians. But if you're not a Christian on the inside, you are going to hell. Amen? Yeah. You can't be a Christian on the outside and think that's good enough. That's not. As a matter of fact, those of us who know we can't live the Christian life, we can be Christian. Amen? Because of Christ in us. Not what I do. So he says, don't think that a Jew on the outside is the real deal. Verse 29, he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And the one, the circumcision that matters is the circumcision of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, the, 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 just the obedient of the, the rules of the law, whose praise is not of men, but of God. If a Jew is circumcised in the flesh, and uh, they could physically enjoy the blessings of, of God on the people of Israel physically. Do you know what happens? That only goes for a little while, and then it ends. And, you know, it would be an awful thing to be one of the most devout Jews and go to the Wailing Wall every week and to memorize the entire Torah and to be a Jew walking around uh, trying to keep himself or herself totally unspotted by the world uh, keeping the law, all 613 commandments, and after all of that effort, dying and ending up in hell. Wouldn't it be awful? Well, let me put it real plain. It'd be just as awful for somebody to be the best Catholic you've ever met. 
the best Mormon, the best Baptist. I mean, they do everything, but they're only doing it on the outside. On the inside is 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 like like dead things, like a sepulcher filled. They're whited sepulchers, and to be the best Catholic, the best Protestant, the best Baptist, the best uh, Mormon, the best—I don't care what you are—doesn't do any good at all. It's what you are on the inside that matters to God. So. There's Jew on the outside and there's Jew on the inside that's been transformed by faith. We are saved by faith in Christ. So let me show you a little quick diagram here of two Israels. The first one, we got a big group of people called Israel, the Jewish people. They are physically, ethnically, naturally Jews. That's what you say, well, they're not, they're not, they're not pure Jews. You're not pure Irish either. I'm not pure. I mean, America, you know what makes America so unique? We're nothing. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I probably got 15% Irish, 15% Scottish, 15% hillbilly. Uh, I mean, all of my grandparents all come from all kinds of different directions and, and different people groups. Your genealogy is what not what makes you right with God. But they are still Jewish people. <laughs> They are rebellious, they are idolatrous, they are lawbreakers, and they rejected their Messiah. That's Israel. You know what's unique? In that group, and you'll see them in the Bible, Paul's one of them, uh, the, the church at the beginning in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 was filled with only Jews. So you have a group of people in there that are believing Jews. They're spiritual Jews. They're, they're the remnant God talks about. They are called the sons of God, the household of God. They're called the true Israel. Just being born of Israel doesn't make you Israel. Let me take you a little bit further than this. Let's add another group. This container, this group, are us. Those are the Gentiles. You know what Gentile means? Non-Jews. <laughs> That's you and me. We are physically, ethnically, naturally not Jews. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any Jewish blood in me. I, I don't know if that matters. I mean, what if I had 30%, 50%, 90%? Does me no good. You understand what I'm saying? And the fact you have none in you does you no good or bad does it at all. I am a Gentile. And guess what I am? I am rebellious. I am idolatrous. I worship things instead of God generally before I got saved. I'm a lawbreaker. And before I got saved, I made fun of Jesus Christ. Anybody else? I thought it was for sissies. I thought it was for girls. I thought it was for wimps who would go to church. Why would anybody follow a loser like Jesus Christ? I rejected Jesus Christ for years before I got the gospel and understood it. Those are the Gentiles. But you know, among us Gentiles, there's a group in there. I hope I'm looking at them. There's a group that are believing, that are spiritually minded, that are the remnants. I mean, the world can go one way and I'm going a different way. Bible says, uh, he, he, Jesus came into his own people and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, just accept them in their lives, believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's in the household of God. And to them that believe on his name, that's the true Israel. So you know what, you know what Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, and you know what he was telling Nicodemus? You're Israel. But you need to be born again. Do you understand? He told Nicodemus, John chapter 3, you'll not see the kingdom that you so yearn for. The Jews wanted the kingdom to come. And Jesus said, you won't ever see it unless you get born again. You know what you tell a Gentile? You can use that gospel. I use John chapter 3 all the time. But Romans chapter 10 was written to Gentiles. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jews need to get born again. Gentiles need to get born again. But Romans 10 says it's for everybody. My name's in the Bible. Do you know that? Whosoever. Amen. So those two Israelites, let's take them down a little bit further. Let's see what God does with them. Um, those, those two groups. The believing spiritual remnant, the sons of God, the household of God, will take, and the believers from Israel and the believers of the Jews, of the Gentiles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to the right, find Ephesians chapter 2. 
lovely scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Watch what God does with Jews who just believe and have the faith of Abraham and they accept the Messiah. And Gentiles, wicked, ungodly Gentiles, who just have the faith of Abraham and God, trust what God says, and they cling to Jesus Christ. Look what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says. Wherefore remember, wherefore remember that ye, talking to the Gentiles, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called, they were labeled uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision of the flesh made by hands. So the Jews are the circumcised, and they think of themselves so superior. Verse 12, that at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of who? All right, notice that. And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye Gentiles who sometime were far off are now made nigh, near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who hath made, how many? Both into what? One. He took Israel, he took Gentiles, and by faith he made them now one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That's why we say there's no Jew or Gentile anymore in Christ. That's why there's no bond or free. There's no male, female. We are, we're just Christian. Look at what he goes on. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh all the enmity, all the, the fighting between Jew and Gentile, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances for to make in himself, in Christ, of twain, of two, of two new people, one new man so making peace um only done 19 uh and that he might reconcile both jew and gentile unto god in one body by the cross having slain the enmity between jew and gentile thereby and he came and he preached peace to you gentiles which were far off and to the jews that were nigh for through him we both jew and gentile have access by one spirit unto the father now therefore Ye Gentiles are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God. What God did was he made a brand new creature. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, he created all the animals, created every creature, created man, woman, created donkeys and horses, stuff like that. But the moment that you got saved, you became a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature creature he's a brand new he's the true he's now finally true israel Amen. and what about those descendants that have re, that that have not believed this is the issue they are still rebellious they are still wicked you if you learn about the nightlife over there in israel you 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 couldn't you couldn't get out of your head they are wicked people they're rebellious to god they're idolatrous they love themselves they're lawbreakers and they as a nation, have rejected their Messiah. But they still are God's chosen special people. you got to get that in your head and go, all right. All right. That doesn't mean they're saved. That doesn't mean that, they're, that, that God's okay with how they're living, what they're doing. It just means they're not saved yet, they, but they will be. And I'll show you that in a moment. We're back to Romans chapter 9. Let's try to finish this up. Romans chapter 9. Paul gives... Some examples of the descendants of Abraham, who you would expect, since they're children of Abraham, they must be in the program, and they're not. Romans chapter 9, starting verse 6, he says again, Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Stop right there and notice, he's going to talk about Ishmael and Isaac. This is very, this is very helpful because both Ishmael and Isaac were sons of Abraham. Think about that. Remember, Ishmael, the parents of all the Arabs over there, Ishmael was the first out of the gate. Ishmael was the first son of Abraham. Hagar is brought in so that Abraham could have a son. Sarah comes up with a plan. Let's do this. God's not coming through on his promise. Let's do it ourselves. I got a plan. Use this woman. She'll be our surrogate and we'll get a baby. And it happens. Is Hagar the promised son for Abraham? 
No. Uh, uh, go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 in verse 1. Genesis 22 and verse 1. Let me get back there myself. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. He said unto Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He, God says, Take now thy son. What does he say? The next words. Thine only son, Isaac. Why did he say that when Ishmael was already born? Ishmael is 13 years older than him. And yet he says, take your only son. That's amazing. See, back several years earlier, God had uh, told Abraham, kick Hagar and Ishmael out. They're not to have anything to do with your home and your family. Just being born of Abraham doesn't mean anything. You know what? Jesus kind of had a funny moment. The Pharisees were coming around and they were mocking Jesus Christ when he came into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And everybody's praising Jesus and praising God. And um, uh, uh, everybody uh, is, is all, um, uh, you know, excited about Jesus coming in. And the Pharisees are telling them, stop, don't, uh, stop them from talking like that. And, and Jesus says, hmm, if they stop, the stones will cry out. And you see, that's funny because John the Baptist said the same thing. John the Baptist looked at all those Pharisees, said, don't think for a minute that because you're descendants of Abraham that you're right with God because God out of stones he's able to raise up children to Abraham now see that's cute see God doesn't care about your genealogy God doesn't care about what your father was like or your mother like God doesn't care about your genetics God doesn't care about your limitations God doesn't care about how you look how much money you got he's able to make somebody out of out of stone what he cares about is the heart do you understand that so when it comes to Ishmael and Isaac, Ishmael, no wonder Ishmael's fighting because he wants attention. When God said, kick him out. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. So uh, Ishmael goes away empty, all right? Um, go to chapter 25 and verse 5. 25, Genesis chapter 25 and verse 5. And Abraham, Abraham gave all that he had unto who? That's his inheritance. He gave everything to Isaac. But under the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham only gave gifts, and he sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. So he says, here's a present for you, here's a present for you. Bye. All that I have goes to my son. And that's the genetic line. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Um, and what was God doing? Let's say, was it because Jacob was better? I mean, because Isaac was better than Ishmael? Mm, no. You find he's a very lazy man. He's, he's got very little spirituality. It's not that he's the best, whatever. You know what Isaac had? He had the faith of his father. That's all he had. And that got him as part of the plan where there's a line throughout history that brings us to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the line is based upon faith, not upon genetics. Then he gives us back there in Romans chapter 9, look at verse 10. One more slip back. Romans chapter 9 and verse 10. And Paul says, not only this one example. Let me give you another one, Paul says. Romans 9 and verse 10. But when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, so Rebekah gets pregnant, being married to Isaac. Watch what happens. Uh, jump down to verse 12, because we'll go back to verse 11 in a minute. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Well, God's making, revealing a choice. He tells her, younger is special. And the older brother is going to be doing the bidding of the younger brother. And that's amazing, but watch, that's before they're even born, verse 11. For the children, these were twins, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of your goodness or your works, 
but it stands by him that calleth. Verse 13 is written, and then he says, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Um, Isaac and Rebekah had twins. Only one of them was chosen to bless and to use, and that's Jacob. Uh, he chose them before they were even born, and God totally rejected Esau. Esau is the father of the, the people called the Moabites, and they never they never got right with God as a nation. Now, Ruth gets saved, doesn't she? Ruth is a Moabite, so God's not damning the whole nation, but generally the whole nation doesn't want anything to do with God. And it's based upon one thing. It's called foreknowledge. See, God knew that Jacob, as, 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 as unstable as Jacob was, he knew Jacob would get converted. He knew that Jacob would believe. See, God doesn't force anybody to believe. Uh, he actually waits. and he, Well, doesn't wait. We wait. But he can see whether you're going to get saved or not. And he has a plan. And sometimes you're wondering, why is, why is God working in their life and not working in that person's life? I don't know. I just know this. God knows the end. And he may just have his hand on somebody. I really believe uh, I'm alive. When I was 16 years old, I had a car wreck, and I should have died. I flipped my car being an idiot, and I should have died. But I walked away from that, and it was a year later when somebody gave me the gospel, I got saved. And I have to chalk it up. God knew I would get saved and gave me another chance. He didn't have to do that, but he gave me that chance. Why did he let me live? Maybe so I could stand here today and plead with you to get saved. You see how that works? So God, in foreknowledge, he chose. He already knew Jacob would get right with God and get born again and get converted. So um, uh, foreknowledge is, is the big deal here, not predestination, all that stuff. And uh, he says these words, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And he's quoting from Malachi. All right. Genesis chapter, let's see, where is it? Genesis chapter 25, we have the birth of um, Jacob and Esau. And God says the elder, Esau, is going to serve Jacob the younger. Jacob's got a special place. I'm going to bless him. Guess when God says, I've hated Esau. It's not at their birth. You know when God says, I've hated Esau? 1,450 years later in the book of Malachi. God says, I hate Esau. Because if, if he had said, I hate them then, if God ever told you he hated you, would that affect you? Would that make you think, well, I guess I'd never get saved, amen? God doesn't say it then, but he says it later on. He says, I told you Esau was never going to get right, and I have loved Jacob. So God doesn't just arbitrarily pick some people to love and some people to hate. You know what God does? He loves all. God so loved, you know what God did? God became a man and let men crucify him. That's love. He actually called out for God to forgive the very people who crucified him and, and nailed him to that cross and rejected him. That's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, one of these days you're going to stand before God and you will face his wrath. But until that day, until that moment, until that judgment... God's loving you and calling you to follow his son and get saved before it's too late. And, and Esau and Jacob, when somebody uses that verse and says, Jacob, have I loved and Esau, have I hated? You got to realize that's after, that's after 1,450 years after their birth. God's just telling you, I was right to tell you Jacob is going to be served by Esau. Not so that you can say some people are saved and some people are damned. That's not true at all. Jacob says, uh, by nature, there's, there's one descendant of Abraham who's by nature, <laughs> I, Ishmael, by effort, without God, and the other person who is true Israel are those who are in by promise, believing the promises of God. Jesus tells, reveals two Israels himself, and we're done. Go to Romans, uh, sorry, John chapter 1. I said chapter, chapter 3, thank you. John chapter 3 and verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of who? 
All right, this was this was a Jew of the Jew. This was a top ruler. He was a teacher, master teacher in Israel. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher as well. Come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Verse 3, John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, a good, upstanding, outwardly righteous, hardworking Jew, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God that you're waiting for. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Uh, how do I do that again? How do I get physically born again? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that's your first birth, and of the spirit, that's the second birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You only got flesh, Nicodemus. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to give you eternal life. Marvel not that I said to thee, you must be born again. Jesus reveals two Israels. Nicodemus was a natural born Jew. He was religious. He was physically a descendant of Abraham, but he was only born once. He was a natural Jew and he was lost without hope, without God. And Jesus said he needed a second birth to become the true Israel, to become born of the spirit of God, to become a spiritual Jew, a Jew on the inside. I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, look in verse uh, nine, chapter three and verse nine. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? He's shocked because he says, how can, I, how can you not take me as I am? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, art thou a master of Israel, master teacher, and knowest not these things? This is the principle throughout all of the Bible. Just being a Jew is not enough. Just being in the Holy Land is not enough. You must be born again. And that message is to us still today. As we studied chapter 9, 10, 11, let me tell you, it is rich, but it's also deep. And you're going to learn a lot of stuff. Stay with me. And I want you to do something for me. I want you to start to pray for and love and bless the Jewish people. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to, you know, you don't treat them like they're saved. But I tell you what, the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God even condemns anybody who who has, has uh, um, hates Zion, is in trouble with God. So pray for them. They are lost. They need to be saved. Secondly, learn from them. As you read in the Bible, you're watching yourself. They are just like you and me. I mean, the, the things they, they go through and the things God brings them through are just like me. And I learn from them, but I also learn from their future. God keeps his promises. Win them to Christ. You ever get a chance to talk to a Jew? Almost hug them. Say, can I tell you about Jesus? <laughs> I, I, Paul, the apostle Paul wept for you, and I'm, I'm going to pray for you that you understand the gospel. Whatever you could say, try to win them to Christ. They're just, they're just lost, just like you and I, and they're worth it. But don't be like Israel. Don't. God invites you to not be like Israel. They looked at Jesus as we don't like him. We don't want it. And I think it'd be an awful thing for you to read your Bible, to sit in this church and to go, nah, after all Jesus has done for you, after all that he has done to prove who he is and he's worthy of being followed, don't be like Israel and says, get rid of him. We don't want him. Folks, rejecting Jesus Christ is serious. He is your only hope. She said, I am the door. There's no other door. There's no back door. Mary's not going to get you in. You got to get in through Jesus Christ. But isn't it wonderful? Accepting him is your best hope, your only hope. If you'll stand with me and bow in prayer, I'm going to ask you, are you saved? Or are you still stubborn? Full of your own self-righteousness? Are you still holding on to what you think is good enough and right? Don't miss this opportunity. God's asking you to consider how long you're going to live without that hope. All you have to do, just, man, all I have to do is say, Jesus, save me. I'm going to follow you. 
I'm, I've been following everything else, tried my religions, tried my philosophies. I'm just going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust your son. I ask you to save me now. I'm just giving you an example. Why don't you just talk to God and just say, I trust you. Trusting Jesus Christ is the best thing you'll ever do. It's the only thing that will get you to heaven. Trusting your goodness will be just like the Jews, lost without God. Father, I pray in this room, God, we would sort of take the bigger picture. We start to see that it's not by birth. It's not by works. It's not by our own self-righteousness. And for the most part, we're very blind to our sin. We think we're pretty good people, just like the Jews did. And the Jews are an example of what it's like to reject Christ. They have been hunted and they have brought such trouble under their lives because of if they had received as a nation, Jesus Christ. Wow. They'd be leaders of the pack. But they're missing it. And the shame is there's maybe probably not even a Jew in this room, but there's some of us Gentiles who we've been invited in and I pray we don't make the same stupid mistake. Lord, 43 years ago, I made a choice to humble myself and to cry out to Jesus and to ask him to save me. And it worked. It, it just works. And I've never regretted it. I, I just, I just want to serve him more. I just want to worship in spirit and in truth. I just want to serve God. I just, I don't worry about trying to be a good Jew. I don't worry. Try trying to, I just want to follow Jesus now. Lord, with all of our failures, with all of our humanity, thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for giving us the chance to be in the household of God, to be a true Israel. And I pray for Israel. I mean, this is just October 7th, just one in a long line of, of wars and battles constantly surrounded by their enemies, hated by the world, mocked. Oh, I don't know what's right or wrong. I, I, you know, I'm not there. I just know this. I need to pray for them just as much as I need to pray for the Palestinians. I just know that fight's not going to get fixed. Not until Jesus Christ comes back. And those Jews, they're not going to know what to do. They're going to do their best. But they need you. They need the word of God. They need they need a relationship with the Son of God. Lord, would we start to pray for them and be burdened for them and send missionaries and, and ask you to do a miracle in their midst, just like you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal. Let's go to 246. <laughs> Tenderly, Jesus is calling you and me, 246. <laughs> Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling Calling for you and for me See on the portals He's waiting and watching Watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for sinners. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not His mercies? Mercy for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. 
Father, we just thank you for the challenge this morning. It's not, not simple scriptures. This is, this is not only rich, it's deep. It's because we're dealing with something that seems to have gone wrong. We're dealing with why didn't the Jews who had Jesus, who heard Jesus, who had the law, why didn't they get saved? The truth is, they didn't want him. They're stuck in themselves. And what a price they paid. But you're not through with them. You still want them saved. And you still are going to use them. In the future, you're going to save that nation. You're going to use that nation. They are special. And that proves that those of us who have gotten saved and have been brought into their family are special too. By grace. It's all of grace. Yes. So here we are today, Lord. Learn about Israel because we're learning about ourselves. And we're learning about what, what is wrong with us. And that's our heart. I pray we'd never be full of self-conceit. I pray we'd never look into the scripture and say, oh, I don't need this or I don't need that. That's the path Israel went down. And boy, they lost so much. Lord, I pray that we would just hunger to stay right with you, <laughs> stay close to you. If there's anybody in this room, I ask this every week, Father, but if there's anybody in this room who's just holding on to their religion, they're holding on to the fact they were born Irish, they're born Catholic, that they would realize they must be born again. They need to be saved today. And if they got any questions, Lord, please give them courage to come talk to me. But most of all, I pray they cry out to you today. Lord, may we just honor you this day. This is your day. All day long. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.